passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the A team that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, everybody. It's John Pollock and Wei Ting coming at you on this Monday evening. A very busy day of wrestling news that is going on. How are you, Wei? Doing all right, John. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How are you? I'm okay. It's been a long one, a long day. Did you have a uh, an enjoyable weekend? Yeah, I did. How about you? It was all right. Yeah, it was um quieter weekend, I would say. I got out. Actually, it was, um, I took, I took my kids out and, um, it was actually a disaster as, as I will not a full fledged disaster, but just, um, first of all, my daughter is into now her Justin Timberlake phase. Mm-hmm. She only likes one of his songs. So we just listened to it on repeat. And this was like a 45 minute car ride of, it's just like, we we gotta we gotta vary it up a little. Like I will I will take any any other songs. What song? Curious. The um, what's it called? Can't stop the feeling. This is from the Trolls. Oh soundtrack. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very recognizable song. Very nice song. Man's got a great voice. But I mean, by by play number eight, it's just like okay, okay. We're gonna I'm gonna teach you shuffle. Okay, we're mm-hmm. we're gonna play it a little. And then um, so I'm driving, and Max is like. I'm going to throw up. It's like, what do you mean you're going to throw up? So I got to like veer out. I get him to like, I have to pull over, get him out, throws up. It's like, okay, good. You you told me in advance. From the Justin Timberlake. Might've been, might've been, this might've been like, you know, the song that was just too much as uh, you know, and then Evie goes, daddy, I threw up too. I was like, what? And I look over, he threw up as well. And I'm in the middle of this parking lot at, at this, uh, this, this mall. And I'm just, and I'm by myself with them. And I'm just like, what is going on with you two? Um, and your digestive systems that apparently are in sync. Um, so anyway, that was, a that comes to mind, but a fun trip nonetheless. Well, made for a good story for a podcast. That's always, yeah, that's, that's always the, uh, 
It's always what you got in your back pocket, right? Didn't get in the car though. Um, Max, no EV, yes. Um, oh, minimal yeah. in her car seat, but it was it was doable. Uh, like at this point, I'm just immune to this stuff, so it's like whatever. Yeah. It happens. Um, yeah. So there you go. I'm done. You can take over from now on. Raising your kids. <laughs> I meant with the show. Like, no, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm sure they're lovely, but I, I don't want that responsibility. Okay. Tonight on the show, we will get to raw from San Jose, California, three hours to follow the show from Australia, but a bunch of news to get into tonight. Uh, we'll talk about Ole Anderson in, in just a minute, obviously a very a sizable figure in pro wrestling's history. Uh, but just want to make mention of the show that Brandon Thurston and I did earlier today, a special Monday edition of Pollock and Thurston, because on Friday we did an interview with, with Nick Kaniski, who is the uh, son of, you know, the late Gene Kaniski, who was a NWA world heavyweight champion. And Nick Kaniski father followed his father into the industry. was a very high level amateur wrestler and went to, Many territories, uh, wrestling in Texas, in Portland, and also did a tour of New Japan Pro Wrestling, and then came to the World Wrestling Federation in 1986. And he detailed to us, uh, the first time publicly, that while he was there in the WWF, he was propositioned by former company official Terry Garvin. And of course, uh, Terry Garvin, his uh, reputation, very much this is consistent with that of stories you have heard and allegations from Barry Orton and Tom Cole. And Nick stated in our interview that, you know, it was something that he went right to Vince McMahon to complain about. It did not stop. And ultimately, he he left the company. So we we put up a story on the site and then also uh, played the entire interview. I thought it was really important people to hear it actually from his words. And I, I think it, it really does uh, paint the picture kind of of this, uh, this locker room and what he was uh, up against here with someone in a position like a Terry Garvin as well. So that is up there for people to listen to the, the entire interview is about 27 minutes. And then you get me and Brandon uh, chatting for a bit after the fact as well. And we will be back on Wednesday uh, continuing our coverage and talking about the TKO earnings call, as well as John Arezzi, who is going to be joining us on Wednesday. So you can look out for that. Two editions of Pollock and Thurston this week. But now we move on over to Ole Anderson, who had been in poor health for some time. So this was one you cannot say was uh, unexpected, passing away at the age of 81. And it's one of those figures like, where do you start with a Ole Anderson? I mean, the the positive is that this was, you know, at his peak, he was among the most influential figures in professional wrestling, a major um, powerful booker and wrestler at the same time. Like he had his on-screen persona as one of the Anderson uh, brothers with Lars and Gene. And then later Arn would also become part of this uh, fictitious Anderson clan. And of course, being part of the Horsemen, the original iteration of the Horsemen in 1985. and you know, for, for a large part of his career, also booking at the same time from uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling and Jim Crockett Promotions being the the two key territories that he was one of the uh, key people booking. And at one point, even booking both at the same time, which when you understand the volume of shows that Georgia and Jim Crockett Promotions was running, you're talking about someone who was booking five to six towns a night with this talent. And even Oli had stated afterwards, like that was 
a mistake to try and like that was like we, we talk about burnout among bookers today. And I mean, it's it's still a lot of hours of booking when you're looking at a Tony Khan, for instance. But um, at, at this point in time, it was just it was way too much on Ole Anderson's plate. But he got into the industry in 1967, came in in, in Minneapolis through Vern Gagne and trading training with Eddie Sharkey. And then it was as part of, of the Anderson team with uh, in the Carolinas. It was kind of a, a three man unit of Ole who was was given that name by um, Lars and Gene Anderson, who he was uh, paired with. And then um, they, they continued on. They were, you know, a, a very, very prominent part of, of that territory. And it was in 72 that they ended up uh, returning to the Carolinas. And Gene Anderson, he had previously been teaming with uh, Art Nelson. And that's when Gene and Ole were uh, put back together when Ole returned. And... It was later in Georgia Championship Wrestling. That's when um, they came to Georgia, left, and then on a subsequent return to the territory, that's when they were able to get booking power in Georgia. And that sort of propelled Ole Anderson into uh, a pretty significant figure. So at his at his biggest runs, he was not only booking these major territories, but he was also working like main events. So he was getting, you know, sizable payoffs in all of these towns and, and pulling in a lot for, you know, seventies era uh, purses that some of these wrestlers were making in especially a very massive territory like Georgia championship wrestling was. And then it was, you know, through Jim Crockett that he ended up booking there. And that's when Jim Barnett, needed a new booker and that's where he ended up doing the, the dual role of booking both together but it was you know at at his at his run he was among the best heel promos that you're going to hear like a very different style but um very methodical and i included a video in the quick write up we have on the site of the the his turn on dusty roads which is a just a fabulous angle that they shot and just they put like the whole lead up to it into one uh, YouTube video. And it's, it's really something to watch kind of the architect of this angle and Ole's work in it. And he, he was a fantastic promo and into the eighties. He of course was, he was booking the Carolinas and sort of was the, he was, he was the guy that kind of got left in the dark during the whole um, black Saturday deal where, the the shareholders of Georgia Championship Wrestling, led by Jerry Briscoe and Jack Briscoe, they orchestrated the sale to Vince McMahon and kind of left Ole in the dark with the other like minority shareholders. And Vince McMahon was able pretty much to get a hostile takeover of Georgia Championship Wrestling, um, you know, with, with the assistance of these other shareholders. And Ole tried to fight this. He tried to take them to court. But ultimately, it was held up that Vince McMahon was going to take over those uh, WTBS slots in July of 1984. And then Ted Turner turned around and he gave Ole another slot on, on the network on Sunday mornings at, or at um, Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. So he remained on the network. And then of course, Vince McMahon would, after a year, sell the slots to Jim Crockett for a million dollars. He made money off that sale by buying it for, $750,000 and marking it up for Jim Crockett. And then McMahon was off the superstation and Jim Crockett wrote, wrote out um, th- th- those, those time slots moving forward. But Ole would, would stick around in uh, WCW into the late eighties. He would 
he would serve in di- different functions on the booking committee when Bill Watts was in power. Um, well, I should say in 1990, he was he was put back by Jim Hurd as the booker of the company. And that brought us the uh, the Black Scorpion angle, which if you ever remember the Black Scorpion, that voice, that was Ole Anderson's voice. I mean, not probably probably not one of um is more well. Well, it is a well-remembered angle, but maybe not one you're putting on the resume at the the top if you're Ole Anderson. But then he got involved when Bill Watts came into power. He was brought in. He was like a referee on screen and then still had some booking input and then got relegated to the power plant. And when Eric Bischoff came in, that was kind of the end of Ole Anderson, but had the had the second run with the horsemen when they kicked Sting out of the group. That was another uh, big highlight. He had a career that is extremely decorated and one that had, uh, again, it was the, he was a major, major power broker, especially in, in the, the mid to late seventies and throughout a good portion of the eighties as well. Now on the other side, Ole Anderson is largely regarded as one of the most cantankerous, bitter individuals in the industry that a lot of people had nothing but negative to say about their interactions with him. I mean, it was very telling when the horseman went into the hall of fame and that was in 2012. And Ole, as one of the original members was not part of the class that was inducted. He was someone that had very, very outspoken about his thoughts on the state of the industry. And, you know, somebody that, that definitely there was a period where he in his time was a fantastic booker. But there was also a period like in 1990 when he was booking, it, it, it was very clear that he had um, he, he was just not looking towards the future of what, what the industry had in store. Wrote a, a pretty well discussed book when it came out in 2003. That was just if you enjoy Ole Anderson just going off on everybody, that was the book for you. It was called Inside Out, How Corporate America Ruined Professional Wrestling. I mean, right there in the title, you, you know what you're getting in, in a book like that. Um, one of the great media interviews of all time when he was doing the uh, the media rounds for this book, uh, he went on Dave Meltzer's show and he was so livid that he was not in Dave Meltzer's Hall of Fame. And I guess he was of the impression that Dave just like checks off a, like who's in, who's out of the Hall of Fame, not understanding the voting process and such. But it was a remarkable like just argument back and forth between these two for like the entire duration of the interview it's like neither guy is really like backing down from this so it was like (laughs) awkward but still very engaging radio between these two um i never had a chance to interact with with ole anderson but i don't i i can certainly appreciate a lot of what he did um but he was also somebody that i think represented a lot of things in the industry that i am glad we have moved on past that uh, represents a, a different bygone era and a certain template of um, individuals that were kind of uh, were plentiful in, in that time period. And I think he would be um, certainly a, a larger example of, of those a, as well. But you really can't deny that this guy, you know, in at his peak, he was he was a phenomenal heel, a great promo and a, a booker in some very major, major territories. And this is a very historical figure in pro wrestling's past. It it was not all that long ago. I was doing the uh, the Hall of Fame show with with Dave and uh, with, a, with a panel. And we were discussing like Ole Anderson. And he's someone every year like I do battle around with. Like I, 
I'm not as um, kind of turned off by like bad people that are on on the ballot or people that just have really negative uh, reputations uh, among those. If you can actually balance like what was on paper, like their statistics or warranting it. I mean, there's a case for an Ole Anderson like he was that important during during his heyday uh, as a booker as well. But I've I've never voted for him before, but there will be plenty. I am sure that's going to be written on Ole Anderson this week and probably there will be. A lot of unflattering stories, I would imagine, that are also going to come out in the next days. Like, this was not a popular individual among too many. Like, yes, there is kind of the, you know, the the angry old guy that it's kind of charming. But, like, when you also, like, hear some of, just he was not a popular person. And I don't think you, you, you color that much differently once someone passes away. So what has been said about maybe uh, attempts from the WWE um, to maybe getting him involved in that Hall of Fame class? Um, how much, you know, was it on his end that he just flat out didn't want to do it? Um, or how much of it was? Yeah. What, what's the story behind that? So the the one incident that was like described was that once Vince got the got the time slots from WTBS was that he allegedly offered Oli a job and there was some interaction where Oli spoke in person with Vince and Linda and like insulted Linda to her face something like that and just turned turned down Vince for like the idea of working with him and he's just never been someone that's ever been on WWE's radar like he is not one of those like a Bruno that okay he's on bad terms but we always every so many years try to reach out for like to my knowledge there's never been any outreach towards an Ole Anderson you've never seen like think of all the horsemen like retrospectives or DVDs that they would do and all the history like I've never heard of them like oh we really love to get Ole back when they were producing these DVDs it just seems like they they had no interest in anything to do with Ole Anderson and I think that was um you saw such a spotlight on that stance when they put the horseman in that year in the, in the hall of fame. And like, if ever there was a time that they were going to reach out, that probably was it. And when, when that came and went, it was pretty understood though tonight. I mean, to their credit, like they brought him up on the broadcast and this this news only came out like an hour or so before raw. And they did get an on-screen mention with Michael Cole and Pat McAfee and did put up a graphic. It was Probably I, I can't remember the last time Ole Anderson was ever mentioned in WWE programming until tonight. I mean, you know, when when a person dies, you hopefully at that point you kind of let go of, of any any sort of grudge like that. And, and I mean, let's also keep in mind this is a a bit of a different regime that's also maybe in charge of some of those decisions now. Yeah, like when it comes to Ole Anderson, I mean, he's a name. His is the name that I I. I've probably seen a lot of his booking. I've probably seen maybe a good deal of his work, but I never, I feel like he's a real blind spot for me in my sort of like knowledge base. And I think a lot of it is because there's not that much media, um, at least new media that, that, you know, features him as any sort of like talking head. Um, his presence, you know, just kind of feels diminished over the past um, decades uh, or so. I'm very curious to, to you know, uh, to see if, like, do you know if he has any involvement in any, uh, in the Black Saturday episode of, of Dark Side of the Ring coming up? That's a great question. Um, you know, the, the problem is, like, he, he's been in really poor health these last couple of years. Like, I, I don't even know if he would have been able to provide an interview if, 
if he if he had been of like that ability, he would definitely be one of those people that you would want to speak with because he was such a central figure in that whole thing and trying to hold it up. Like the the sale goes down in like April. They don't get on the air until July because mm. they like Oli was trying to fight like some of the language in the like shareholders agreement and it was ultimately upheld and and the sale went through. Um, but that's a good question about the dark side episode. Like certainly. Oli will be mentioned all over that episode because he's a key figure caught in the middle of that of, of that entire thing. But yeah, it, it does go to to show you when you are not part of the WWE's history of things that there is a generation of people that are are not going to know as much about an Oli Anderson. And I mean, there there is the stuff out there the the Tim Hornbaker books the um the good old days documentary on Jim Crockett promotions is one I would recommend as well. And Oli's own book, like it is a very good book. It's, you know, one where, I mean, he, it was kind of, it, it's similar to like dynamite kids where, I mean, he's pretty unapologetic about his, his stance on things. This is not someone who is trying to curry favor with anyone. It It is what it is. And, and that was charming to some people. They liked the fact like there was, there was no BS from this guy. Um, would never have like lasted in any kind of a, of a corporate environment uh, today. And somebody that, I mean, um, you know, had his very, very rooted view on what professional wrestling is. And, and it was not what professional wrestling was becoming by the, by the time we were getting like to, to, to the nineties. I mean, he, he thought it was just um, not the industry that, that, that he had been a part of. So more to come this week. I'm sure I'm going to try and write something uh, a bit more lengthier on him uh, later this week. But obviously a very, very big story coming out there. Let's go on over. Uh, the Rock will be on SmackDown this week, which is being promoted. They have it. They have a graphic for it. SmackDown sold out is how this is being promoted. So um, you, you think the show will be called SmackDown sold out or, or they're just advertising the fact that it's sold out? I don't know. Not since the NWO pay-per-views have we had a, a, an event build as such. Hmm. So. Um, that's that's Friday in Glendale, Arizona. Um, and then today, uh, The Rock announced that he will be on the next three editions of SmackDown because after this Friday, he will be in Dallas the next week and Memphis in two weeks time uh, on, on top of that. So they're going to have some gigantic um, houses going into WrestleMania and multiple appearances from Dwayne Johnson in, in the lead up to WrestleMania. And I guess they're building this Friday's around uh, the rocks answer to Cody's challenge. Yes, they are. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I think Dwayne Johnson, you're seeing maybe um, certainly maybe rightfully so taking a lot of the credit for some of these sold out houses and riding. Yeah, he should, he yeah, should, like, yeah, he should. That's okay. Uh, but this is a uh, Dwayne now firmly, firmly in, into the wwe ecosystem and um i think I, i'm curious to see what sort of effect it has on his overall career outside of professional wrestling you know this is positive buzz now attached to dwayne johnson that he could really kind of you know maybe use to 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 i don't know celebrate um uh and, and to boast uh, you know outside of even professional wrestling Tokyo Sports had a story about Julia and pretty much confirming what was expected. This is from the Tokyo Sports piece, and this has been translated, so uh, forgive if, the, if this is not a perfect translation, but it's been revealed that Julia, age 30, of stardom will leave the group at the end of March, the departure of a key player who has a track record of winning the championship, the highest level in this organization, uh, is sure to cause a big stir. 
After her departure, it is likely that Rossi Ogawa will join a new organization that is planned to launch. And there's also a possibility that she will aim to join the world's largest organization, WWE. Not wrestling's largest organization, the world's largest organization, WWE, uh, which has been reported in the U.S. media for some time. According to multiple sources, Julia informed Bushi Road Fight, the group that runs stardom, of her intention to leave the group at the end of last year. As a result of discussions, it appears that they have reached an agreement that she will leave the organization at the end of March when her contract expires. So this looks to be the... Um, trajectory. It's been speculated that Julia could be involved at helping Rossi Ogawa get this new company up and running, and then she will make her way off to her next destination, which Tokyo Sports believes will be WWE. Yeah, interesting. Interesting to see what her uh, remaining duties will be. Um, you know, who... And if she... others are going to follow um, to this new organization. Stardom could be going uh, under a you know, a bit of a facelift. If, they, if there are several key names, that would be very, very tough for stardom. And who she drops her uh, strong women's championship to, where she drops it? All, all questions. Uh, that, that'll be up there. New Japan, over the weekend, they held their new beginning in Sapporo cards. This featured the, uh, the farewells to Kazuchika Okada and Tamatonga, as well as uh, Tetsuya Naito retaining the IWGP title against Sonata. And, and a Yuya, hair versus hair match. Well, goodbye to Yuya Uemura's beautiful mane as well. That's right. He uh, he lost the hair versus hair match. I didn't think this was a great weekend for New Japan. I thought that these two shows, what they like when the Okada news dropped, I thought my my reaction was long term. This could this could be very bad for Okada, or bad for New Japan, I should say, in that this could be the opening the the floodgates that this is going to eventually be the perception among talent is that you ultimately want to make it in America. But short term, I thought that this could be a really invigorating period for New Japan because there's going to be so much um, turbulence with the loss of an Okada that you can do a lot of interesting matches, rocket someone to the top. And short term, this could be a really fun period for New Japan. And I did not sense that this past weekend. I thought they took the laziest path possible for Okada's final weekend. I just felt it was so ho-hum of Okada in these undercard tag matches that meant nothing, that he was positioned as the outgoing hero, and you're left with the feeling of, okay, Okada's gone, and you're not leaving us with like these brand new toys that we have that are now going to be ascending to the next level. I didn't think Suji and Yuimura really captured people's imagination in that sense with the hair versus hair match. It felt very thrown together to go to such a big stipulation almost out of nowhere with these two. And I mean, I thought Nick Nemeth and David Finley had a really nice match on the first night, but you're coming out of it and it feels like the new is Nick Nemeth and Matt Riddle. And I just don't know if that's, what you're craving for an exciting, invigorating product. Um, Matt Riddle, to me, I'm, I'm, I'm not as sold on yet after that match with Tanahashi. Maybe that's a mulligan with Tanahashi getting hurt. Um, Nemeth worked really hard, but to me, like Nick Nemeth, it, it, it did kind of have that feel of, okay, the, the WWE stars are here and that's who we are going to hmm. latch onto. And that's, it's not a slight, but it's, it, that was the perception you gave your audience. It could just be an issue of timing where Nemeth and Riddle were supposed to come in anyway, but you also had Okada leave at this point. I mean, everything about this Okada departure feels like it was a very sort of last minute type of thing that might have even blindsided New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, 
I think it was really weird seeing some of the um the 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 mid card roster members trying to work and build up programs for Okada with Yoda Suji, um, you know, after the match with Uemura, holding Uemura's fresh hair in, in his head, in his hands, going over to Okada on commentary and basically cutting either a shoot or a work shoot promo saying, you, you know, you must be very happy with the way that you're leaving. And then expanding on those thoughts in the post-match interview where he basically challenges Kazuchika Okada to a match at the anniversary show, one-on-one in a singles capacity. Now that's the match we all want, but... There's no indication You're not delivering that to people. There's no indication whatsoever that that's actually where the direction is going. I mean, Suji, I believe, is involved in a multi-man tag. Um, unless it's it's some real sort of like secretive type of um, twist that New Japan is is you know working here. Uh, it, it calls into question what exactly happened, what was going through Suji's mind when he was saying those words. Beyond that, you also had the Great Okan on the, on the first night. Mm-hmm do something really weird in after their multi-man match um, against the United Empire. He just held up his KOPW championship at Kazuchika Okada, who just proceeded to completely ignore and no-sell and walk right past him, making him look like that much more of a chump. So, like, it, it, both scenarios make you ask what exactly was happening here. Were these guys just kind of going into business for themselves? Was this some weird sort of elaborate, I don't know, work shoot type of plan from the company? Those are some of the more weird sort of uh, things to come out of the weekend. I thought it was a mess uh, overall. Like, I... Like perception wise, it just feels like like New Japan to me is it just feels it's in a total rut at, at this point. And maybe this New Japan Cup will be a, a bit of a shot in the arm. They did put out the bracket. Um, so this will start with the anniversary show next Wednesday, which now will be Tetsuya Naito against show with the IWGP champion and the new junior heavyweight champion in show. So for the tournament, it's a 28 man tournament where Sonata Evil Zack Saber Jr. and Hiroki Goto will have buys, and then the since first... they're former winners of the yes. tournament, and then the first tournament matches on Wednesday at the anniversary show will see Yoshihashi against Kenta, Jack Perry against Shota Umino that they're putting in the opening round, um, then Toriyano against Yujiro, uh, which is a nothing match. Um, the rest of the opening round we see TJP against David Finley, Tangaloa against Great Okan. Tomohiro Ishii against Chase Owens, Hikuleo against Oleg Bolton, Shingo Takagi against Yuya Yuimura. That should be a really solid opener. Callum Newman against Gabe Kidd, Yoda Suji against Jeff Cobb, El Fantasmo against Mikey Nichols, and Taichi against Ren Narita. What do you make of this bracket? And does this excite you? I mean, it's a lot of people. Did they have 28 men last time? How long has it been since, since the field has been this large? They they like their big fields. Wow, yeah. Um, I I mean, listen. There's 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 the potential for any of these. Like, we're maybe not any of them. Okay, I, I guess I'm not really looking at Toriano versus Yujiro as as um somebody that something that might steal the show. But for the majority, like you know, you have a very talented roster in New Japan Pro Wrestling, and if given the space and given like the I don't know the style and the time and length of match, uh, a lot of these matches could potentially steal the show does it necessarily excite me just to kind of you know think about who might actually be winning not necessarily you know maybe as predominantly an AEW uh viewer at this point i'm very curious to see how jack perry is booked you know as um pretty much the only outsider in this entire thing right 
he he i i i see him beating umino and i see him going fairly far in this like if i if i had to shortlist this i think that you would be looking at like from from the from kind of that that top pairing there um like realistically you could we'll see how serious they are about jack perry like if he goes to like the the final four if, if he goes uh that that deep into things um so we can we can see from the brackets he'll uh, he'll very likely beat shota umino and he'll very likely beat other Toriano or Yujiro Takahashi and you'd assume now, he gets what Sonata maybe maybe he loses to Sonata so, so I think that's another question you know like Sonata did not look good um, Dude, Sonata has been a disaster okay it's, it's just a disaster like the fact yeah. that they have spent so much time on this guy like at some point you just have to realize we backed the wrong guy during this mm-hmm. it, they took a chance last year okay you took a chance great it didn't work um I would not be having Sonata beat anyone. Uh, like I would be looking at this. Who are my four guys this year? Who are my four guys that I want to make a big deal out of? I thought David Finley was one of them. Like he got all the benefit of beating Will Ospreay and he turns around and loses to Nick Nemeth a week later. So yeah. I think that the, like, they, where are they in this tournament? I mean, I guess they're not sticking around for in Japan for that long, but I mean, still like you're supposed to have these new guys that are, you're putting their championships on. Shouldn't either a riddle or Nemeth like, be a part of this tournament well nemeth it looks like isn't doing anything till sakura genesis which is yeah. april so he's going to defend the title against tanahashi and riddle um they haven't announced anything for riddle at least in japan so hmm. like i would think that both of them will be on that chicago show in the, the windy city riot as well hmm. i'm looking forward to that one that's that's a pretty big card and they're at over five thousand tickets out so that's you know a at least a a bright spot for new japan in the in the near future on on top of it say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill and then um we've got the tko earnings call that's going down on tuesday evening they will be holding their call at five eastern presumably with ari emanuel and mark shapiro firing off or fielding questions do you expect a significant focus on vince mcmahon or do you think it's going to be rather reserved in, in in that sense i'm i'm not expecting too much on the vince mcmahon front but i i could be wrong pessimist tells me you'll get mention of it i think it's too big of a story to ignore um and i think you'll get even questioning from people that are on these calls about how it might impact the stock but the focus is going to be on it has an impact on the stock i think that has kind of insulated them on this call that i don't think you're going to get too much um at least you might get the requisite like just a state of the company post vince mcmahon but are they really going to be drilled on like this impacting the company in any way is there any uh sponsor concerns is mm-hmm. vince mcmahon is there any like what's the state of his stock will he remain you know with with his stock or any any questions like that um how about I'm questions just, about the the ufc uh, uh um uh, lawsuit that's coming up too yeah, I wanted to uh, actually mention something there because we did get a bit of a development today. This came, uh, John Nash posted this, 
Um, the U.S. District Court uh, in Nevada uh, just posted a, a brief statement for the, the Kung Lee lawsuit against Zufa. The parties have informed the court that they are engaged in private mediation. As such, the settlement conference set in this case is hereby vacated. The parties must file a joint status report regarding the mediation by March 11th, 2024. So um, John Nash just notes that this is interesting, but it also could be nothing. But the fact that they are engaged in mediation talks um, certainly opens up the door for a settlement before this thing gets to court next month, which would be quite the ending to this nine plus year road um, if they get there. But again, this this could ultimately be just it's talks that don't go anywhere um, with them being so close to a trial next month, but or in April, we should say, but something definitely to monitor. I don't expect this to come up at all in, in the call. I'm I'm amazed at how little this lawsuit gets attention wise. So this is the second TKO earnings call under. Uh, yes. Yeah. Period. Yeah. How did much... the last one together. And yeah, this is the second one under the TKO umbrella. Like uh, from the last one, how much. um clarity of information did we get versus you know like a wwe led a lot less a lot less like mark shapiro and ari emanuel um you know they're not getting into specific wwe business stuff and they're way less um open than a nick Khan was when it came to nick Khan projecting his thoughts on where the sports media landscape is going um nick Khan, to be quite honest would be very valuable on like this particular call because i would expect more than vince mcmahon netflix is going to be discussed a lot on this call and mm. nick Khan is one of the people well so is ari Emanuel as well but personally i would i would prefer to hear from nick Khan. but i does Dwayne jump on i doubt that probably not mm. um but yeah i found the last call it just a lot less forthcoming with any kind of substantive information of, uh, but if there is we will definitely cover it on wednesday so you can look out for that Ratings notes, just uh, some quick ones here. SmackDown on Friday was the taped edition of the show, and it fell 11% in viewers to 2,272,000 and a 0.62 in the demo. It was number one in sports for the night, beating out both NBA games on ESPN, but it was their lowest of the year uh, going back to December for this taped show. Uh, this was coming off the previous week's live show that had The Rock. So which show do you think did better in Canada, Way? The one without The Rock. The tape show without The Rock in mm. Canada beat the live show with The Rock from the week prior uh, by 9%. So there you have it in Canada. Rampage did 364,000 viewers in a 0.11 returning to its normal time slot. So compared to two weeks ago, the last time they aired at 10 Eastern, they were down 20% in viewers, down 21% in the demo for uh, Jake Hager and Roderick Strong. And NXT, Tuesday night, Noam Dar defends the Heritage Cup against a member of the no-quarter catch crew that they will reveal right before the match. Von Wagner versus Lexus King. Dijak against Luca Crisofino. Edris Anofe and Malik Blade against Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson and Kalani Jordan versus Kiana James. Dynamite on Wednesday. All they've announced is FTR and Eddie Kingston against Danielson, Moxley, and Claudio. Will Ospreay will appear in Huntsville, Alabama. And it will be Sting's final dynamite before his retirement. All right. In Huntsville. Mm-hmm. Sure. And they're also and, taping Collision on Wednesday as well, because there won't be a live collision the night before the pay-per-view. And you would expect Ric Flair as well, right? Yes, I would think so. Yeah. Gotta gotta pay off that big closed door meeting from last weekend. 
mm-hmm. from last week. All right. All your news up at postwrestling.com. And we're going to move on over to the SAP Center in San Jose, California. 12,000 people in attendance, according to WrestleTix, or at least tickets distributed. They recap the Elimination Chamber. Dominic is out to introduce Rhea Ripley, who got a thunderous reaction for her entrance. And she is cut off by Becky Lynch, who congratulates Rhea, calls Dominic a kumquat and a loser, and says she is the backbone and soul of this company, mentions her book, and that she can do it all, including beating Rhea Ripley. And Rhea says... The man always thinks they are the backbone of everything, but behind every great man is a great woman. But I'm not behind you, Becky. I'm always on top. And before that, Nia Jax jumped Becky, and she was on top with a leg drop and went for the Annihilator, but Adam Pierce is out to save the WrestleMania challenger, and uh, Jax is uh, sent out with the threat of a fine as we open things up. And we're revisiting Becky and Nia Jax. That's going to be, I guess, Becky's last hurdle before WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I think is uh, something we all expected, maybe um, since Becky lost to Nia. I think overall, like it's been a, a good, you know, use of, of everything related to Becky versus Nia. You built Nia up through a Becky win so that she could eventually headline Elimination Chamber with Rhea Ripley. And then now, now that's over with, you give the win back to Becky so that she can be one of the headlining bouts of WrestleMania. So I think it was, uh, you know, good good booking in that sense. This was a first interaction, officially at least, you know, between Rhea and Becky, even though they've been, you know, really telegraphing this entire thing for quite a while now. Um, lines I felt were okay. I would personally like to hear the promos get a bit deeper and cutting and personal in the weeks ahead. I think there, there's, there, I'm sure there's enough material between the two of them that they could find. But the star power is there. The marquee value is there between these two. It is a mania-worthy program. Jackie Redman interviewed Nia. She said she beat Becky clean, won't let her make it to WrestleMania, and she warns Liv Morgan, who is her opponent for tonight. First match is Sami Zayn against Shinsuke Nakamura as Sami Zayn is on his losing streak, and he's got to find a pathway to WrestleMania. So Nakamura's working on the midsection. He's on offense until he runs into a Michinoku driver. Zayn manages a tornado DDT. We went through two commercial breaks here. Kinshasa was caught with a blue thunderbomb. Zayn is getting frustrated. He can't pin him. And then Nakamura comes off the turnbuckle to the back of the head with a knee and then leaps, does a leaping knee off the steps to the back of the head. Zayn rolls in at the count of nine, sidesteps the Kinshasa, hits a haluva kick from behind, and then he sets up for one more. This was the greatest camera angle for a haluva kick, and it looked like Zami Zayn ran through this man's jaw. This was like, the coolest looking haluva kick for, and it should always be shot at from this corner unless it looks bad. And then you wouldn't want to have this angle in close up, but this looked awesome. 1456 Sami Zayn wins. And therefore his, his road to WrestleMania still has uh, a path. Yes. Yes. I'm never a fan of losing street gimmicks. Uh, almost, almost never, especially with somebody as valuable as Sami Zayn. But, um, I'm at least willing to give this one a chance because Sami Zayn is that strong of a performer. I thought here um, he took this Nakamura win and he made it feel like almost cathartic, you know, like he made this feel way bigger than a Nakamura win should have. But he made it feel like as if he was snapping a losing streak and that it was changing the course of his momentum. And I think so much of that came through his selling and his acting. um, And it got a really great reaction out of this crowd who seemed to engage in the same way. So I thought he made the most out of Nakamura's offense. I 
I mean, everything between these two might be compared to their takeover Dallas match. And and I, at this point, I don't think they're ever going to hit those levels anymore. But it wasn't necessarily it was a good match. Can't say it was a great match, but it achieved its storyline purpose in giving Sammy a big, significant win. Yeah. And we'll get into the teases of of what could be his WrestleMania match. There was a video on the history of the New Day and Imperium and. I guess this has some basis in reality, but Michael Cole kept telling us they've been fighting for two years and it all comes down to tonight. I was like, two years, really? I'm very confused on the first 22 months of this program. Did they have some interaction in NXT? I'm sure they like have, I'm sure they have, but uh, boy, I, this has not felt like the culmination of a two year uh, program. Were the like I know the New Day were in NXT. Were they in NXT like two years ago? At the, I thought I thought that was more recent. I mean, whatever. I'm sure somebody in the chat room will let us know. Way, are you going to get the season pass for 2K24? Because if so, look at this lineup of extra characters you can get. You can play as Post Malone, Diamond Dallas Page, Jade Cargill, Carlito, and Pat McAfee. Pat McAfee. Yeah. yeah, not just Pat McAfee. Apparently, can you say whole, his 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 co-hosts are in this game his too? His whole crew, I think, is is in this, which is um, I, I still don't know, really know um what Jeff does, but I'm assuming uh, if you ever dreamt of playing as Jeff, we might actually know um a bit more about him now. Yeah, um, man, they're making a lot of money off of these downloadable uh, deals, you know. So I'm not gonna be. I'm not even gonna be. I don't have a system, but um. This is very exciting for everybody involved. Congratulations to um, huge, all these guys. Yeah, it's, it's it's a wonderful thing. Oh, I mean, it's a huge, you know, revenue driver. I'm sure for them. Chelsea Green is uh, in the ring, and she said that she is competing under protest after she filed a complaint. Said she would have won the battle royal last week if Pierce hadn't put Raquel Rodriguez in at the last minute, and then mocks her for losing after flying all the way to Australia. And she's a loser, just like the San Jose Sharks. Oh, wait a minute. That's our team. So Raquel came out and she won with a Tahana bomb in a minute 20. I don't know much more to add to this than that. Yeah, very quick squash here. I guess just to simply, you know, rehab Raquel after after the chamber. Um, you know, over the weekend, I I feel like Raquel, um, not maybe just out of the chamber pay-per-view itself, but through her social media posts, I, I feel like she had a very significant weekend. You know, once um, her story of her uh, mast cell activation syndrome kind of came out and mm-hmm. she um, I, I didn't even really hear about that um, until this weekend. But like, I, I think she's been actually pretty upfront about it on her yeah, social she, media. She's disclosed like why she, she's been out this time and what she's been dealing with. And yeah, she had a major like outbreak of it on the flight over. Mm-hmm. And I watched like uh, there's like a somebody put together like a like a video. Maybe she might have uploaded this herself of just like the various bouts she's had with this mast cell activation syndrome. And she's crying and she's like, you know, looking in the mirror and just I guess just at that point, maybe just documenting it for herself. But, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, in the face of all that going and still being able to go out and, and, and to perform the match that she has, um, I I feel like she probably has a lot more fans coming out of this weekend, you know, just but kind of being honest and upfront about her struggles than she's probably ever had. So, I mean, I'm not saying you have to, you should make this a storyline or whatever, but like, I, 
there, there's something that works about her as this inspirational figure. They just have to find their way of conveying that in, in, in the show itself. Um, and it doesn't have to be what she's actually going through in real life, but I'm just saying she has that quality about her. I agree. I thought that, you know, there was a lot of, uh, of attention on just what she had to endure to get through that match on, on Saturday. Jackie Redmond is with Sami Zayn. You know, we've been talking for so long. He finally won. Zane says how badly he needed this. This reaffirms everything he said about being a contender and will be a champion. And if the path doesn't find me, I'll find it. And with that, Imperium get into his path. And they walk by with the last one being Gunther, who just looks down and laughs at Sami Zayn. Yes. This court, this court jester. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this... I thought was a direct hit at what the mania match would be, but that would end up being at least a little bit more cloudy by the end of the show. But this is certainly, I guess, one of the bigger teases you got for a potential opponent for Gunther and Sammy coming out of the show. More to come on, on the intercontinental title picture as well. Kathy Kelly asks Cody, was it a smart strategy to challenge the rock? And he said, well, that was my response to being slapped. And he awaits his response on SmackDown. He's facing Grayson Waller tonight. I like Grayson Waller. I remember when he won the Iron Survivor Challenge and then said he's done a lot for Grayson Waller. I brought Jay Uso to Raw on the Grayson Waller effect. I also made the challenge to The Rock on his show. So he's done a, he's broken a lot of news on the Grayson Waller effect. He should have a little more reverence for Cody Rhodes. Imperium comes out to emphasize how long Gunther has been champion. Pat McAfee notes that when Gunther's title reign began, AI was Allen Iverson. Michael Cole was silent in response to this comparison. <laughs> Gunther states he has beaten everyone and asks, who will my, who will step up at WrestleMania? I see what all you people are saying. You have these ridiculous p- predictions like Sami Zayn, Chad Gable, The Miz, even R-Truth and the crowd pops for R-Truth. But the Judgment Day come out and Damien says that we don't sweat you. We've had a great, you've had a great run second only to the Judgment Day, and we ran the table of the Elimination Chamber. We're going to do the same at WrestleMania, and we're going to add more gold, including your belt. Gunther says, well, which one of you is it going to be? And up steps Dominic Mysterio, and it leads to a pull-apart after Gunther shoves him, and Priest has to be held back. So on this show, they were introducing a lot of potential opponents for Gunther that could be either some sort of um, you know, series of matches to launch a contender or this could be our way to get a bunch of odds and ends onto the show which i kind of would be disappointed by not getting that singular focus for for gunther at wrestlemania but so they've already named like four people here you know they they were teasing Sami Zayn. here we've got dom we got chad gable and i think we have bronson reed as well through just deduction of like what else bronson reed could be possibly talking to adam pierce about yeah, I think I mentioned Chad Gable. Like, so you had four already, and I can't see a five, fatal five way, you know. So I feel like it's just me speculating that it's a lot more likely that you get either a tournament or, God forbid, a a battle royal, which would just make everybody feel like chumps. Um, what if we do a tournament and then a last chance battle royal at the end? <laughs> yeah, why not? Sure. Do you have a preference on where they go? 
I, you know, it could be a four way, and then uh, night two might might be. Man, they they would really make this night one feel like a. a, a you could do something show. where you put a bunch of like the four way is night one, and the winner mm-hmm. gets Gunther on night two. You could do that. It seems like everything's peaking for night two now, but whatever, it's fine. Judgment Day is backstage after the break, and Rhea questions Dom challenging Gunther. But so, so just on that, like, I mean, they were pushing Dominic here, but the interaction, I think, that was the the biggest focus of the segment was Damian Priest and Gunther. Yes. So, at what point will they be going to this? Because um, I certainly felt like they were, you know, purposely putting a lot of attention on this interaction. Yeah. Well, I I see Priest being somewhere in this whole I see mix in 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 the lead up. Even as the Money in the Bank winner, yeah. I mean, they brought it up in the segment here. Obviously, you're not cashing this in, so he's mm. why cash it in when he could just get the title shot anyway. All right. So Judgment Day is in the back, and uh, Rhea walks up. Balor tells Dominic, "Go smooth things over with with Rhea." And then Dominic runs into Andrade, who has a meeting with Adam Pearce to discuss his first opponent on Raw, which would presumably be Dominic. Guess so. I think that could have been a phone call. Instead of flying here, I mean, maybe they just demand attendance if you're healthy. Maybe he was shooting some something for for digital. Imperium against New Day is the street fight. They went uh, 18 minutes with the New Day out in San Jose Sharks jerseys, jeans, and the patented elbow or knee pads over the jeans for the wrestling street fight ensemble. Then they start fighting by the entrance. New Day pull out a table, but Imperium attack. Crab just wants to see a table now. Kaiser grabs the table and slides it underneath the ring. So they're pissed. And Michael Cole says, I was talking to Imperium earlier today about their 2K ratings and that they're they're very upset that they're in the low 70s. I would love to have seen a digital exclusive of this conversation. Oh, I, I don't doubt how, that. How do you bring up someone's 2K rating in just a normal, like at lunch, just casually? So I see you're uh, 73. Yeah, man, F those ratings. The hell do they know? How many bumps have they taken? I, You know, I think this should be like a whole series. It should be like, you know, these 2K people rating the, these. It's a storyline where you've got to fight for like your, you know, your, you know, you come into it. Both of you guys are at 80 and you're going to have a match and the winner gets bumped up to like an 82. Let's go. Right? Can you can- headline? Does your rating change as you progress through the season? Like as we're going to find out way we're going to buckle up and see if these ratings just go uh, fluctuate throughout the year after this. Okay. How much is 2K going to invest? Well, they they won't. I'm saying in the game itself, do they do they change? No, I just don't know. Like What's, if uh, you're a season pass holder and you get these constant updates, will they update these overall ratings? What is Pat McAfee's on air staff? what are their ratings <laughs> i need to know by the way thank you brian for informing me uh, jeff is logan paul's guy he's not uh pat mcafee's guy okay i didn't know if you were uh mentioning that uh, maybe no maybe idea. he's going to be a secret character in the game that's just always in the maybe. front row i can only hope yeah so imperium continues they're attacking with kendo stick shots then kaiser gets a chair went through two breaks and then kingston throws the old office chair at vinci uh, or sorry, at Kaiser, Vinci is sent into the steps, and then New Day gain control of the kendo sticks. Vinci is placed on the table on the floor. Woods comes off the top with an elbow drop, putting him through the table on the floor, cutting up Vinci's back. This looked fun. And then there's a pin attempt. Kaiser yanks the referee out. 
Kingston is sent off the top and crashes through the table after they tease a big ending. And Vinci nails Woods with a chair shot and sends him into a chair in the corner. Kaiser then pins him, holding the jeans in 18 minutes and 11 seconds. Imperium win the two-year war. And they get the points. That's the it. ratings That's point. It. Yeah, they're going to go up to 75s easy after this one. Yeah. I thought this was actually a really excellent match, you know, and a, and a strong exclamation point on the New Day's sort of a renewed harder edge that they've been trying to develop through this Imperium feud. Ah, renewed day. Very good. Yes. Uh, I think this has by far been like the New Day's most significant program in a long time, maybe since their last uh, NXT two year run. Um, uh, two years ago, I mean, I thought the intensity of this one was a lot greater than your typical Raw match. I thought they were hitting each other really hard, or it looked like they were hitting each other really hard. A lot of progression and strength put into a lot of their shots, especially with the weapons here. And a uh, very satisfying finish with uh, multiple table breaks. I thought it was definitely the best match on the show, I thought. Mm-hmm. I like this more than Zayn and Nakamura. It's to the point now where I kind of wonder where it goes because um, if the New Day are going to have any program for WrestleMania, I can't see it being with a team other than Imperium. They've spent such a long time, two years, building this feud, John. Well, year you three know? begins next Monday. That, that is correct, yeah. And for Imperium, I mean, I, I, I thought the match did well enough that it kind of renewed my interest in wanting to see a second one. But this was like a pretty clean win, wasn't I'm it? I'm good. I'm good. You are? I've sat through two years of this, so I'm ready to move on. New new destinations for everyone involved. Pierce is on the phone congratulating Bronson Reed. Chad Gable comes in, compliments him on his win last week, says he wants Gunther. And he says that I'm not coming at you. I'm not coming at this as a competitor, but as a father. It haunts me that Gunther reduced my daughter to tears and called me a terrible father. This is not about a championship for me. And Pierce is like, okay. You've given me something to think about. And uh, this Chad Gable last week, he remembered this horrible thing that happened to his daughter months and months ago. So well, he clearly the man, the man has been waiting until WrestleMania season. To, to look this for man's girlfriend. a backstage politician knowing yeah. exactly when to feel really slighted by this action by Gunther. It's like, <laughs> we're not settling this at bloody uh, you know, backlash. Okay. We're, yeah. we're going to get upset about this at the end of February. That's it. Yeah. Wait thing until is, the night after Elimination Chamber. He's like, he's not taking any chances. <laughs> well, the thing is, um, do you see him actually getting to uh, the Gunther match, Chad Gable? Because I don't think he's, if we're going to pick somebody out of the crop, I mean, I think it's going to Sammy. That's the most logical pick, you know, for, ha- for having a singles match. The alternative is if there's a multi person match, then Chad Gable's daughter might, you know, get a ringside seat for at WrestleMania for that. Yeah, I, I can see him certainly being in this, like some kind of qualifying pool to determine the challenger. I mean, Zayn and Gable would be your choices. I just, I, I don't see them going with Gable over Zayn. If if it's a one, if there's a multi-person match, he's in. Yeah, right. Stark and Shane, uh, Shayna Baszler earlier today. Uh, Michael Cole warns us they had some controversial comments. So, <laughs> if there's any kids out there. <laughs> Now might be the time to mute our show. Baszler says they're sick to their stomach that Candice and Indy got a tag title match on Saturday just because Indy was the hometown hero. Actually, the home country hero. It was more egregious. She wasn't even from Perth. Says, that was our shot. It's like, no, it wasn't. You were not booked on this show. You were not being flown there. This was not your shot. 
and they warn the Kabuki Warriors that they are coming for them. That ends, and Pat McAfee's response was, that was controversial. <laughs> yeah. Man, oh, the, the internet is combated. Baszler, I mean, they had to wait till the third hour to air this. Oh, man. Well, um, what what isn't controversial these days? I'm sure somebody, uh, you know, was was really upset about these words. So we had our, our big tag match between the, the controversial Shayna Baszler and Zoe Stark and the uncontroversial Indy Hartwell and Candice LeRae. LeRae is on offense but gets stopped with a knee strike from Baszler and stomps the elbow. They work on her arm. Indy gets the tag. Uh, but Baszler makes the blind tag, comes in after Indy hits Stark with a spine buster and just Kira Fudas her from behind and Indy taps out. Two minutes, 47 seconds. So Shayna Baszler and Zoe Stark making a pretty solid argument that, yeah, we we probably were more deserving than than these two. Mm, yeah. This division has like so such little airtime and what it gets usually isn't that good. So it kind of came as no surprise that the crowd re- reacted to this so mm, little match I felt was just kind of eh, just kind of there. Um, these sort of matches almost need to be exceptional in order to overcome the lack of TV time and the poor creative that they usually get. And this wasn't really there. Sorry, did you miss the setup for this match? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's hear what she says next, Shayna. They'll explain, Shayna. Listen, pipe bomb. When we get a sixteen million dollar uh, site fee for a series of events from the government of your hometown of Boise, Idaho, you'll be getting the tag title shot in the open. Okay. <laughs> so until does, then, it, do, does she live at Glendale still? Does she train there, or she she used to at least? I mean, she's in. Uh, I I don't I don't I don't think she is uh, training with a uh, one Edmund, Edmund anymore. Our truth is in the Judgment Day clubhouse when DIY and the Miz come in, and our truth is reminiscing about the good old days. And Champa has a plan to deal with the Judgment Day. Are you ready? And our truth calls them Regeneration X and steals a TV monitor. I could not possibly have any interest in whatever this plan is. No. Do you do you think they'll keep the name Regeneration X? Sure. Yeah. 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 I really hope they do. Um, yeah. I mean, Truth again is is one of the more popular characters that they have on the show right now. Whether or not he's a good fit with Gargano and Ciampa may, might remain to be seen. I, I get the sense a lot of people that are still pining for the days of, you know, black and gold DIY probably hate this. Hmm. But what are we building to here? Uh, Judgment Day match with these four? Yeah. Could that be the Mania match? No, I don't think so. Because you're probably getting... I don't, you know what? It's a, it's a two-night event. I guess you can get anything. Counting down. 40 days until... until. Drew McIntyre comes out. This segment was awesome. Drew McIntyre just gets on the mic. We did it. <laughs> Already, I, I was loving this segment. He says, you don't achieve success alone. I thank all of you for praying. This happened because so of you. Great. He mentioned in the match at the chamber, getting his eardrum blown out and being told by one of the trainers, you might miss WrestleMania. And he said, who do you think I am? CM Punk. Of course, I'm not going to miss WrestleMania. <laughs> and then he sits down cross-legged in the center of the ring. This was just great. And he mocks CM Punk missing elimination chamber. He says, I know you're straight edge. You don't drink. So I drank twice as much just for you so we could celebrate my win and then calls out Seth Rollins. They're, they're pushing the CM Punk program hard for Drew. I mean, there's a lot more push to be done, but 
this is um this is like half the new day imperium program until he comes back that's it yeah they're gonna they're gonna he's gonna have to like you know press this button for a long long time but it's it's working it's getting great reactions hey man, from i him. i don't think you have to overdo this but mm-hmm. i think him constantly just needling punk it keeps it keeps it out there that when punk does come back he's got his target and it's gonna be a wild reaction when he finally goes for this guy i mean it's it's a hell of an argument to get the title on drew by the time you're you're ready to to do this and despite like what the rumor mill might say about what's going on with him, it's really, really, really hard for me to think that he's not going to be around until Punk is healed up to to execute this program at this point. I I don't think they have any concern of him going anywhere if you're going ahead now with the, with this match and doing the chamber as they did. So Rollins comes out and Drew tells Rollins to get healthy for WrestleMania. Stop going to fight other people's battles on SmackDown. I don't care if SmackDown was on fire. I would pee on them to put it out. Which, I mean, back in the day when Batista called SmackDown, like legit called it the B-Show. I mean, this was, uh, and think of like how how much, how angry people were on SmackDown for that comment. And then uh, this guy wants to just pee on SmackDown. He says, my only care is the title. Rollins is pushing the bloodline too far. And if they get involved in our match, it could taint my victory. back off his concern is that this could taint my victory rollin says i have thought about all this and all the negative outcomes and you might be right my knee might not be ready my back could give out and it might be an easy night for you at wrestlemania but what if you're wrong drew some risks are worth taking i've been selfish in my career whenever i would reach a new goal i still felt empty it wasn't until my daughter was born that i realized not everything is about me and the world title it is bigger than us the bloodline is bigger than us or taking down the bloodline is bigger than us. And it's only a matter of time before the bloodline come for this world championship. We can secure the future of this industry by eliminating the bloodline. It's like, dude, these last television deals have secured the future of this industry for this company. May the best man win. And he repeats some risks are worth taking such as this outfit. (laughs) Really excellent stuff between these two. I, I think Drew McIntyre continues to just interject a very smart level of, of heel logic into his promos. You know, he had it, it, here acknowledgement of the bigger t- picture here involving Roman, Cody, Drew, Seth, and I think did a great job of tying Seth's other major storyline into his own character's agenda. And Seth also continued to really deliver as a serious voice here as well. I think his passion and, and like, you know, what what feels like his character's duty to to rid the, uh, the the company of the bloodline before he can proceed with the title of defense, I thought was well conveyed here. Um, by the end of the segment, I thought you had a really good understanding of like the two characters and where they stand. And you know why Seth is so passionate about helping Cody. And Drew, I think at the end of all this, he's now at least feels like a supplemental you know, person in the mix of this Roman, Roman Rock Cody um, Seth stuff. And you can almost see the, the involvement of him helping the bloodline. Um, or at least attempting to help the bloodline in order to weaken Seth before the title defense. Yeah, this was a great segment. I'm watching this and like Drew is firing on all cylinders. And all I can think about is I can venture to guess this guy didn't just wake up three months ago and decided, you know what? I can, I, I'm sh- I think I can cut a good promo. I think this has been in this guy's toolbox for some time. And it's mm-hmm. remarkable that this guy, the idea was, you know what? Scottish fables. 
that would be the best way for you to do your promos. <laughs> yeah. Tell us various uh, oh, man. folklore stories from your heritage. That would be the best way to convey your mission statement every week. That would be great, great utilization of this. Guy. It, it really is incredible. Um, and I, I, what a regime change can do for for somebody's creative outlook. Nia Jax against Liv Morgan. We saw a move here. You want to talk about controversial. Nia Jax applies a stretch muffler. And then she calmly swings Liv's head into the turnbuckle. Michael Cole screams, that should be illegal. Hmm. Atma goes, what was that? I had to rewind this. I was like, I missed something. Like, did she like, like swing her, like, and give her a 630 in midair and drop her on her head? Did I miss something? Like, she just, she lifted her up in the stretch muffler and like swung her into the padded turnbuckle. It's like illegal. <laughs> well, it didn't look comfortable at least. Wasn't the worst thing I could imagine. I mean, Naya then missed a leg drop on the edge of the apron. That looked way more painful. Self-inflicted, but nonetheless. There's a code breaker off the turnbuckle by Liv. Jax then runs her shoulder into the post. Liv comes off the apron, gets caught on the shoulders and posted. And with that, Becky, poof, just appears on the barricade, attacks Naya. The DQ is called in 8.09, and she just rams Naya's head into the desk, I would say conservatively, 29 times. And then sends Jax out of the ring and she retreats. Liv is showing seething on the floor. Becky wins the chamber match and takes away my winner's purse. This is going to affect my 2K rating. And <laughs> Liv is pissed. Kathy Kelly interviews Grayson Waller and Austin Theory. Uh, when I say they had nothing to say, they had nothing to say. But Waller hopes that Cody does not finish the story. Then they mentioned Ole Anderson passing away as they went to break and had a graphic for him. Becky catches up with Adam Pierce. She cannot move on to WrestleMania until she ends Nia Jax. So Pierce is like, uh, you want to face her next week? Yup. And Liv enters. Not everything needs to revolve around you. Yes. He's like, okay, so I'm going to have to beat you as well before WrestleMania. So <laughs> that's uh, that's her March to-do list. You know, I was wondering where they were going with the Liv here. And um I was really happy to see this direction. I mean, this is the type of character that I think you could actually believe somebody in the mid card would actually, you know, feel on uh, maybe like a, you know, smaller scale. But, you know, to draw it out for a bigger storyline here about how Becky, who's probably somebody on the roster that gets more airtime than the entire rest of the division combined. I think it's a wonderful character for Liv to possibly facilitate a believable, maybe Drew McIntyre type of slow heel turn. I would love that for her. You know, it's it's actually making Liv very interesting. I was waiting for Becky to end this statement by just adding, Elimination Chamber was never going to happen. <laughs> Kelly is, uh, oh, sorry, we go to uh, Jackie Redman with Jay Uso. First of all, they plugged, Jay Uso is going to be on Jackie Redman's hockey podcast this week. And they question, we don't know how much Jay Uso knows about hockey. What I a wonder. sell for this podcast. I, I can't wait. Does this guy know anything about hockey? I, I wonder. I don't know. He could know everything. They were about questioning hockey. it, not me. Well, how many, how many roster members, I guess, would be hockey experts? Well, the Canadians, I suppose, maybe. Punk. Punk and. Punk's been on the podcast. They, they plugged it the, yeah. the last time he was on. Well, who else you got? You know what? My, my interest in hearing any of these people talk about hockey is, is very low. So um, I, I don't know. I don't Maybe know you're a bigger hockey fan. 
Perhaps. Perhaps. I want to hear Gunther on this hockey podcast. I just want him to observe what what his thoughts on hockey. He might be an expert. They got hockey in Austria. Yeah, I know. I would prefer him not to know anything about hockey and talk about it on a podcast. I wouldn't Mm -hmm. want him to be expert on this. So Jay Uso is basically asked, like, what what now? What what are you going to do? And he notes how close he came to winning the IC title, falls short whenever he comes so close. And Drew walks in, says, you know, Jay, I'm I'm on fire right now, and you you've hit a really a real rough patch, and I can relate. And uh, from the bottom of my heart, uh, I just want to tell you that uh, you deserve this. <laughs> and they just started fighting. Jay was ready to just hook, line, and sinker. Accept this man <laughs> at his uh, most sincere. I just Drew is great. He is just tremendous. Oh, he's the best character on the show. Uh, maybe in the entire, maybe in the entire company, honestly, right now. Um, I always felt like these two had a pretty lackluster resolution to their feud for for that TV match a few weeks ago or months ago. At this point, I don't even remember. Um, because of like how much of like Jay's arrival has really kind of you know created this entire scenario for Drew Drew McIntyre. Um, so they're gonna do another singles match next week on Raw, and. At least if it's not going to be a mania match, then sure. Um, why not have this again just to bide their time before their matches? So Drew and Jay, Becky Lynch and Nia Jax next week in San Antonio. Grayson Waller against Cody Rhodes is the main event. Only going eight minutes because they had an angle to shoot afterwards. Rhodes knocks him to the floor and they note internet uh, Twitter is going crazy. Paul Heyman is backstage and they confirm Paul Heyman was backstage. Cody hit the disaster kick. Theory's on the apron to distract, so Waller capitalizes, and Theory is taken out with a dive, and Waller does his rolling, uh, his roll into the ring, but Cody ducks. Cody Cutter crossroads, 756. Quick win for Cody. But then out comes Paul Heyman, and he is flanked by some off-duty, but not quite off-duty. They've actually been suspended officers. He identified them first as NYPD officers. In San Jose. So he flew these guys uh, from the NYPD. Did, didn't he say X or like suspended NYPD officers? Well, they, what, they've all collectively migrated to San Jose in disgrace? Well, they yeah, he hired them from New York to fly over here. Okay. All right. I, I would have yeah. just got some local authorities, but. I thought he was going to say. All guys, guys. I thought he was going to say, I hired a Toronto-based podcaster. Okay. To flank me. <laughs> this man has a remarkable resemblance to me. Am I crazy? Like if I if I grew up my hair, like we are we've said this I look for a lot years. Like this, this is AJ Kirsch, by the way. Yeah. Um you, from, from you, tough it, enough to ex NYPD of, official. Whom you've actually interviewed, and in fact, um he acknowledged that you two look a lot alike. Yes. Yeah. I was I was gonna wear this exact outfit just to to contrast. You could uh, rock this hairstyle. I think I don't know if I could grow up my hair at this point, but nonetheless, let's get um, a side side by side here. Can you stand the, the other way? Other way. No, <laughs> this is not going to work. <laughs> yeah, what a, he, he should have to put headphones on. I think I think that would really uh, <laughs> that would really put things into perspective. Uh, the difference between us. Oh, you guys are twins. Yeah, this is so, um, no, he, he mean, played I, great security. Um Paul pleads with Cody to withdraw this challenge against Co- against The Rock or else 
Cody notes, I have not trashed The Rock yet because I, like all these fans, used to be a fan of his. And my family was built off of who sold the most tickets and no one sold more tickets than him. I'm done being nice. So come and get me. So they surround the ring and he gets the chair and eventually kills the security guards. Heyman calls Roman and now he's got a separate phone for The Rock. Not yeah. going to conference this guy in. He's got a separate phone for The Rock. And just just in case you forget, he's got uh, each man's logo on the case. So he has a Roman Reigns <laughs> phone and you, a Rock. If you were going to have two phones, for two, you only make one-way calls. Yeah. You would want to, like, I would hate to grab the phone. Oh, is this my Rock phone or is this my Roman phone? I would do the sticker as well. I mean, maybe a color to differentiate the two. Maybe, a you know, material difference. One, you know, I I don't know if I'd go as far as to put a, a the 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 person's logo on the phone. Here's my wallpaper. How, how many times have you ever said, um, "I've got to call these two separate people at the exact same time"? Like, I can't just call Roman and then you know what? We'll relay it over to Rock. Like a WhatsApp group would do these guys wonders. Well, how would he have this conversation simultaneously across two uh, phones? I would. Siri. Like, what does he even yeah. have to tell them? Like, is is Roman somehow? Does he not have cable? Well, I'm sure they have other plans. I, I don't know if Dwayne oh, is watching on a Monday. Oh, I said Siri and it launched off my phone here. <laughs> Looking up something. Okay. Uh, that's never happened before. Um, so this ended. Uh, security was killed and Cody explained that the bloodline isn't hunting me. I'm hunting the bloodline. And uh, some more chair shots for the NYPD. Yeah, really, uh, a, a rather nothing close to the show, in my opinion. But it did set the scene for, a, a, you know, a pretty spirited, passionate promo from Cody. But I would say this entire, like, main event thing was pretty skippable, you know, as far as Raw goes. And, in fact, I kind of feel like it dragged a bit because it just simply didn't advance the story in any sort of significant way. It was the go-home segment for uh, for what? SmackDown. Yeah, right. The rocks, uh, the bot, the rocks, big response to uh, to Cody, which should probably pull a pretty big number. Watch it for the John. Except for Canada, in Canada, this is going to plummet. Where we're going to find out. That was raw. Um, Fine episode. I wouldn't say it was. um, I I like the street fight. Zayn and Nakamura was a a good match. Some really great stuff with Drew McIntyre. I would say were um, the strengths of this show. That. a lot of skippable stuff too on the show. Like there, yeah, they're they're not- building a lot for this uh, whatever is happening with Gunther and the IC title challenger. So, um, you know, look for further development for Sami Zayn, Dominic, Chad Gable as well. Um, and then yeah, a lot of stuff with uh, Becky Lynch and Nia Jax, I guess. That's right. And live, and live. Of course, can't can't forget that. And what is Tommaso Ciampa's plan for Regeneration X? Mm. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, interest may vary. Ani writes in the feedback, this man's got it made. The 90-minute cut of Raw, enjoyable as usual. There's been an uptick in promo quality on this show between Cody, Sammy, Punk, Drew, Gunther, and even Rollins being able to have free reign. Some of the brief backstage promos also continue to help characters get their personalities across. However, Rhea Ripley still has the training wheels on, and they don't trust her on the mic. Her promos are still packed with these cringe catchphrases. There's a bit of a Saruta Masawa to the Lynch-Ripley dynamic of the aging prize fighter having to fend off Father Time to beat the best of a new generation. I don't have hopes for this build or their ability to tell the story unless they let Rhea and Becky speak English instead of group focus ease. 
Hmm, interesting. Group focus ease. Yeah. Um, the, I, probably the only comparison that's ever been made um, between Lynch and Ripley to Saruta Masala. It's very interesting. I definitely don't just disagree about um, Rhea Ripley feeling like she's still very reliant on catchphrases and her promo is feeling a lot more scripted in nature. And I'd probably just imagine that would come down to her comfort level. Considering maybe those limitations, I think she's done a really good job of being the level getting to the level that she's at you know uh this is all to say that there's room for her to grow uh, on the microphone and uh hopefully she finds it somewhere you know working with somebody like becky again i i'm hoping the storytelling and the promos between the 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 two of them get get a bit more personal and hopefully that would bring out a new level from within within her um but yeah i don't disagree that that's probably one of her weaker points where where's that match going on the weekend Honestly, it's hard to predict because, like, if you, well, listen, if Dwayne is going to wrestle, then then it's going to. It's not um, closing either night. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it'll probably go night one because mm-hmm. at this point, if Dwayne is going to do the tag team match on the on the first night, then it's going to be the two men's title matches on the second night, right? So would they have the both women's title matches on the first night? I don't think they have that had that before. Um, but I can't see them having. Three title matches, three world title matches on the second night. That's kind of hard for me to see. You can do whatever you want. Yes, you can. Well, if you want to see every match that's going down WrestleMania weekend, head on over to postwrestling.com slash mania, where we have our constantly updating schedule as we look to complete all the, the show announcement, match announcements. It's going to be a Punjabi prison match at uh, Joey Janela's uh, spring break on, on the clusterfuck on the mm-hmm. second night. With so, the Bollywood uh, boys. The Bollywood boys, yes. Yeah. Um, among the uh, the WrestleMania weekend events. So you can quick, check that out. Quick super chat here from DJ Depression who says, what main events night one and night two? So many options. Are there really that many options? It's it's Cody and Reigns on night two, and it's whatever the, the final decision is on the Rocks match for night one. I think that's pretty simple. I don't think there are that many options. Agreed. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks everyone for the super chats Tuesday night. Braden and Davey are with you after NXT as they are going to be running through that Wednesday. I'm live with Brandon Thurston at three Eastern with John Arezzi. And we will t- discuss the TKO earnings call. Way and I are back Wednesday night with rewind to dynamite back to rewind to SmackDown this Friday. And then Sunday night, it is the AEW revolution post show shortly after that pay-per-view. And by shortly, I mean minutes after the end of Sting's career. We will go live. The AEW shows, they are always late night affairs. Yes. And uh, hey, quick note here. Uh, F1 season is returning this weekend. And we have our post-wrestling F1 Fantasy League running again. Thank you to uh, Chris Elliott for setting that up. You can find a link to it in the post-racing thread over at forum.postwrestling.com. Uh, so join that. Or you can go to the, I believe, sports channel under postwrestling.com slash discord. So either one, join the league. Put in your team. Have you made your picks yet, John? I have not made my picks yet. Have you watched any of the new season? I started watching the first episode. Honestly, like um, nights are hard for me to stay up for these days. So I, mm-hmm. I, I didn't really finish it yet. But have you? I haven't watched any of it. No, not yet. Okay. 
All right, that's our review. Uh, that's going to wrap up the show. We're back this week multiple times. Postwrestling.com is where you can check out everything. And if you're so inclined, postwrestlingcafe.com for all of your bonus shows. Some great shows this weekend from Bruce Lord and Karen Peterson with a great review. The highlights and lowlights of both nights of New Beginning. And of course, Kate from Montreal and John Cena having you covered for Collision Course with Junakiyama getting kicked right in the balls by Brian Danielson. Mm-hmm. quite the moment okay that's it for us thanks for tuning in to rewind to raw good night say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill 